Hey everyone, before you dive into this week's teaching from Pastor Andre, we just wanted to say thanks so much for listening. If you find this podcast to be encouraging or helpful in growing deeper in your faith, would you take a few seconds and share it with someone? They too could be needing the very same thing that you received. Again, thanks for listening and we pray that you have a wonderful day. Well, we are continuing our Roman series uh, and I want to start today with a little history lesson. I don't know if you, how many of you are history buffs or appreciate a good story, but you're about to get one. So, a long time ago, I'm not a history person, so this is fun, but it's not my thing, but it's helpful. Uh, in the year 207 BC, long time ago, there was a war. There's multiple wars. So in the end of the Second Punic War, uh, we're in Italy. Just give yourself some geography. We're over in Italy, and the Roman army was pinned down in the southern Italy by the ruthless general uh, Hannibal of Carthage. Um, and so, by the way, if you are a history buff, uh, I'm repeating someone else's account of this story. So if you have a problem with it, uh, I am copying uh, J.D. Greer, who's a pastor, who's the one who's doing this Roman series that we talk about every Sunday morning before the service. Uh, he's, he gets the benefit of he's in Rome when he films it, so he's got like the historical background behind him. I have this wonderful stage, so you can't see where the battle actually happened. So you just got to envision it. So we're in 207, and there's people that are pinned, the, the Roman army is pinned down by General Hannibal of Carthage. But Han- Hannibal's troops are exhausted. They've been fighting this war. Uh, they're depleted of supplies, and so he sent for his brother, Hasdrubal, who entered his armies from the north. So we have Rome pinned down in the south, uh, uh, and, and we have uh, an army entering from the north. And so they do something unexpected and kind of risky. They rush all their forces to the north to meet Hasdrubal, and they defeat him. They defeat Hasdrubal, and just outside of Rome in 207. And historians will agree that pretty much at this point, the war was over. Rome had won. It didn't officially it didn't officially end, but pretty much this was the turning point, right? That Rome defeating Hasdrubal in the north uh, did not mean good things for Hannibal in the south. So everyone knew it. Rome had won. But for years, small groups of Hannibal's forces would terrorize the Roman countryside in the south, still being present there. Um, and so even though Rome had won, their victory had not yet been applied or recognized uh, across every town and hamlet in the south south of Italy. And so, like I said, Pastor J.D. Greer shares this story to point out that this is exactly uh, what sin does in the lives of believers. Even though Jesus has defeated sin and death, sin still fights back in our lives and attacks the towns and hamlets of our lives. You didn't know that you had hamlets in your life, but you do. In Romans 6, Paul is talking about this ongoing battle with sin for the believer. And Paul is really bringing the people of the church of, of Rome to this pressure point, helping them uh, make a true and honest self-assessment of their spiritual status, making them look at what is in their hearts. This is such an important concept that Paul is going to take as much time as he needs in this letter. So he's talked about the beginning of chapter 6. We're continuing the same thought because it is so important. Uh, we also have to remember that Paul is writing to a certain Roman culture, and there are two rules when it comes to religion. The first is that everyone under the Roman Empire can worship any god that they want. Whatever religion, whatever god you have, you can continue to worship that god. The second rule is you just can't say 
that another God isn't a God. You can't say that there is only one God. You must accept the plurality of gods that is under the Roman Empire. Now, when I was prepping this sermon, I just thought, I was like, that's maybe similar to what we're going through today, right? Many religions are accepted or, or must be allowed to be present at the same time. But as soon as Christianity says that there's one God, then all everyone looks at us angry and says, what are you talking about? No, no, no. And we're like, well, that's what we believe. It's the truth. And so we can maybe share in this reality with the, with the early Roman church that Paul is talking to. He needs to make sure that the believers in the church of Rome truly acknowledge, believe, and worship one true God. So if you guys would read with me, it's going to be up on the screen. Uh, but Romans six fifteen through 23, you can follow along as I read out loud. Paul says, What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourself to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from these things that you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Would you pray with me? God, thank you again for your holy word given to us that we may know you, know your truth, know the pattern of truth. And God, I pray that you would open it up to us, open our hearts to receive your truth and your word. God, that it would form us to be more like Jesus and that we would leave this morning empowered and encouraged to live a life fully for you. Be with us this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. Last week, uh, we talked about a throne in our hearts. I don't know if you remember that. I mentioned this little throne that you know, metaphorically, sits in our hearts. And whoever sits on that throne controls our lives, right? They control our thoughts, our actions, our desires. And Paul starts off with a similar thought process as he be, uh, in verse 15. He says, Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. And do you remember what we said about by no means? This is the strongest way to say no in the Greek. This is an emphatic no, definitely not. Verse 16, uh, Paul is setting up this, this pa- the rest of this passage here. He says that no matter what, we are slaves. Now, we might be naturally repulsed by that statement. On top of the negative feelings around slavery, we innately also have a natural response of, I am the captain of my own ship. I don't like, be- don't tell me that someone else is in control. It's not what I like. We don't like being controlled. We don't like when someone else is calling the shots for us. We want to be at the helm. We want to be making the decisions. We like a certain independence. The Bible, however, is pretty clear that that mindset, that desire, comes from sin. 
it comes from a place of rebelling against God, who we were made to be in partnership with, not independent from. So this is the question that Paul presents. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Whether you are slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. Paul is starting at the assumption that all are slaves to sin. There is no uh, neutral starting point. I think this is often how we think about it. Well, I was free, and then I became a slave to sin, or I can become slave to righteousness. Paul is saying, no, the starting point is we are all slaves. From the very beginning, we are slaves to sin. Theologian Leon Morris writes this. He says, For Paul, the basic assumption is that all are slaves before they become believers in Christ. They are not free to do as they will, for they are subject to the bondage of sin. Notice that he, Paul, is not saying that slaves are required to obey their master. He is looking at it the other way around. The master we obey shows whose slaves we are. Unbelievers are slaves to sin, and this leads inevitably to death. But believers are slaves to obedience. So, He is saying our actions, our choices, the decisions we make reveal who we serve. Paul is very clear that there are two options here. There's just two. We talked a little bit about this last week too. There's either being slaves to sin, which leads to death, or being slaves to obedience or to God, which leads to life. So I just want to ask us this morning, whom are you serving? What do your actions, your choices, the decisions you make, who do they reveal that you are serving? We'll continue in verse 17. It says, But thanks be to God, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey. This is a high moment in the letter of, to the Romans. This is a moment of encouragement. This is great. Paul is encouraging them in what has happened in their lives. And there's a couple of things I want us to to process in this verse, specifically about the transformation that has happened within the believers. The transforming work that yields obedience to God comes in two parts. First, it is the work of the Spirit, and it also comes from knowing the truth. So the first part is the work of transforming hearts is the work that only the Spirit can do. As believers, we cannot work on our own hearts and make it into something good. That's the work of God, to come in within us, form us, to sanctify us. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. So the first part is the work of the spirit. The second part is the pattern of teaching, the accepted Christian teaching, the truth of God. This is the knowledge that is transforming our minds, renewing our minds, rewiring how we process and understand the world around us, how to process life as it happens. So first we have the work of God in our hearts, and then through the teaching, through his scripture, our minds are also transformed. These are two essential ingredients for believers, a heart that has been touched by God, and a mind that is learning God's truth. And they are present here in the church of Rome, and Paul is expressing encouragement and gratitude, saying, hey, your church has experienced God. I I see it in your lives. This is good. Be encouraged. 
And the question for us this morning is, is that present here at Spring Valley Church? I, be, I believe it is. Have you experienced the transforming work of the Spirit in your heart? Are you also learning the truth, the knowledge that renews your mind? Again, I hope the answer is yes. And now in the rest of the passage, Paul explains their reality to them with a bold new imagery. He puts before them the situation that they have gone through. In verse 18, he says, You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now I know, we, we read that and think they went from slavery to slavery. That doesn't sound that great. That doesn't sound like a great situation. Slavery is bad. Yes, slavery is bad. But again, Paul is using the situation they are familiar with to express their spiritual reality. So this is what he says at the beginning of 19. And he's building upon some assumptions here that make the situation more palpable and make it make sense to us. In Paul's scenario, again, he's emphasizing we didn't start from freedom and fall into slavery to sin. We were always slaves to sin. And we... I'm said that before, you're going to hear it again. Paul's going to say it again. It's so important for us to think that because we will always have this natural tension of control in our lives. It's part of the biggest issue with sin that we have. We want to be in control. It's the original sin of Adam and Eve, of Satan falling from... We want control. We want to be like God. And so we were always slaves to sin. That was our starting point. And Paul's also saying... We will always be slaves to something, either sin or obedience to God. So in verse 18, he is rejoicing that they are now slaves to God, meaning they will have eternal life. Their decision from their heart, from their mind, all those, their life now bends towards God. Verse 19, he says, Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. Paul needed to exhort them, instruct them to obey God because just like that story at the very beginning of uh, the enemy attacking even when the war was you know, pretty much over, that is our reality. Sin is still attacking. Sin is still looking for ways to get at us. And that thing, that person that you might have served before you were saved, that you might have worshipped, that might have dictated your life, isn't completely gone. So let's say you worshipped success in life. You valued success. You would make, even though maybe you are no longer complete slave to success, you're now a slave to obedience, you can still struggle with that sin. And you can make every decision to experience success, even if that meant breaking God's law. If you worshiped money, that that sin, uh, that hold of money over your life might mean that in a moment you would do whatever it takes to, to maybe make more money, even if it meant breaking God's law. Or let's say there was a person that you wanted to please in life you would do whatever it takes to make that person happy, even if it meant breaking God's law. So even though the believers in Rome are experiencing the transforming work of God in their hearts and knowing God's truth, they are still struggling to choose to obey God. They are still going back to old masters. That's a reality that we experience today too. 
if you are saved, if you believe in Christ, you are still dealing with sin in your life. The old master is still calling. And there are moments in our life where we choose to go and listen and obey that instead of God. I don't know if you've ever had a pet. Maybe some of you have pets or uh, specifically a dog. Uh, but you've probably had to train that dog. Uh, and training dogs, I only have one experience. of I have one dog only for six months. It's not about the dog. That was more about me. Um, <laughs> dog was great. It was a season. But I started training that dog, and that was very hard. Uh, a lot of, there was a lot of bad habits or natural habits for the dog to break. So, like, peeing inside or outside for the dog. You know, obviously, outside. And it would get rewarded every time it did the right thing. It would get a little treat. Good job. Uh, or something like chewing on furniture, right? I, it was a puppy, so puppy phase of chewing on everything. Um, my dog, I didn't necessarily give it a treat for not chewing, but it experienced my transforming love every time it did not chew on furniture. But still, that's a joke. I don't know if I have transforming love for a dog. <laughs> the, <laughs> obviously not. I don't have the dog anymore. <laughs> uh, but the dog still, even though if it knew the right thing, it still would tend to do the old thing. And I think that's what Paul is it's going through Paul's head right here. It's like you still, you know, you've experienced the goodness of obedience in God, but we still, every once in a while, still go back to sin. And he's, Paul is coaxing them along in this letter saying, you guys can do it. I know you can. I see you slip every once in a while and, and listen to that old master, but keep, keep doing the right thing. Now that you know your minds are being transformed, your heart has been touched by God, keep choosing obedience to God. In verse 20 and 21, it says, When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. Paul makes it very clear that you are enslaved to sin uh, from the beginning, and that being enslaved to sin only leads to death. Even if those things, that those sins were some, brought you pleasure, felt good in the moment, it still leads to death. Wouldn't, sin be, wouldn't avoiding sin be a lot easier if there wasn't any pleasure involved? If it wasn't like, usually sin starts from a good thing or something that we enjoy and then there's too much of it, usually, most sins. And it would be so much easier if sin was just like bad all around. It's like, no, of course I'm not going to do that. It's terrible. But experiencing success, success, wealth, pleasing a person, eating good food, all these things bring a certain level of pleasure to our senses. And at, one po- at some point, God created those things for us to enjoy. But when we chase and serve and pursue pleasure, we are no longer chasing and serving and pursuing God. God has become secondary to our desire for pleasure. Paul explains Again, their situation says that the believers in Rome used to be slaves of sin, and where did they get that? Or where did that get them? On the fast track to death. And this didn't mean a physical death necessarily, maybe, but more importantly, it meant the death of their soul. You see, sin corrupts, eats away at, and destroys our soul. What's that saying um, when you eat sweets? It's like a moment on the lips and forever on the hips. That's like sin, but like a million times worse. Like a moment of goodness, and then like your soul is destroyed. It's terrible. That'll make you think twice next time you have that sweet. You're like, oh my goodness. 
Paul then, again, expresses this other option. So a moment of pleasure or sin, but at the cost of your soul. The other option, verse 22, but now that you've been set free from sin and become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. So what does being slaves to righteousness get you? Being made holy, being made more and more into the image of Christ, living a life that is closer and closer to what God intended, being the men and women that God created us to be. Whereas sin rots our soul and destroys and kills our soul, being slaves to God is life-bringing, renews our hearts and our souls. So obeying God, following God brings life. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And then 1 John 5.12 says, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Scripture is very clear that pursuing God brings life. From the Old Testament to the New Testament, there are stories upon stories of God bringing life. Sometimes it's a physical life. In the Old Testament, from Noah to Abraham to Moses to the Israelites to David, the only hope of a future, of of a life, even on earth, was through Yahweh. He provided the only way for more life. And now in the New Testament, we talk about our eternal life, and the only way is through Christ. For us today... Entrusting our everything, our entire life to Jesus is what brings life into our souls. On our own, without Jesus, our souls naturally just rot away and wither and die. And there is only one remedy. The only thing that can bring life to our souls is Christ. There's nothing else. Nothing in this world, nothing that we can do on our own. The only remedy to sin is Christ. He is the source of life. Paul ends chapter 6 with this verse, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul is wrapping up this thought and trying to make it abundantly clear. German theologian H.W. Heedlin wrote, Sin promises life but gives death. And I love that summary, that what sin is actually doing. It looks good, right? Just like Adam and Eve in the garden. There's something appealing about something else. Again, we wouldn't want to sin. We wouldn't make that decision to sin. So sin promises life, but only gives death. Death isn't an arbitrary sentence, but the inevitable consequence of sin. It's, it's It's a literal ending point for our lives. The other option is a gift a free gift from God. And Paul uses the term gift here to emphasize the freeness found in this option. It's not a reward for the life that you have lived. You didn't earn it, but it's a complete gift from God. Paul is emphasizing the reality that slavery is not just a status, but a living experience. There's not just like in the book of life, your name, not the book of life, whatever book that... Forget that analogy. It's not going to work. <laughs> Whatever status is next to your name, it's not just slave to sin, sin or slave to obedience. It is what you live. It is your experience. 
Dr. Gary Brashears, a professor and theologian, writes, we have the first taste of a number of eschatological blessings, but the consummation and final fulfillment is yet in the future. This is the idea that as believers, heaven is already, but not fully yet. We have a glimpse, but not the full thing. And I think that's true of both eternal destinations, heaven and hell. For those living in sin, they are currently getting a taste of hell, a life void of God without his love and truth. Part of that reality is present. And for those who are enslaved to righteousness, they are getting a taste of heaven, a life full of God's presence, full of love, full of truth. I don't think we today often live in that reality, even as believers. The reality that our eternal destination is not so far in the future that it doesn't affect us now. We tend to put it off and say, well, that's at the end. That's not right now. It's, I don't even think about it. Some of us are really future thinkers, future-oriented. We're great planners. You might have like a five to 10-year plan. You're like, I know general direction, where I'm going, and what should be happening. Others of us are not that way. We're like, hey, what are you excited about this year? And you're like, I'm just trying to figure out dinner for tonight. I, dove, I have no idea. <laughs> I'm like somewhere in the middle, but lean towards what's for dinner tonight. What would it look like for you to live your life with your eternal destiny, your, pre- uh, your presence with or without God at the forefront of your mind? How would your day be different if you were more present and aware of the life that Jesus is giving your soul each day? Or if you are choosing sin in that moment or that day or that season of life, what if you are more aware of the destruction and the corruption and the ruin that that sin was bringing to your life? Might we be more conscious of the decisions we make? And might we strive to take better care of our hearts and our minds and be more intentional in what we allow in our hearts and what is coming out of our hearts? Maybe we'd be more thoughtful and careful about who is sitting on the throne within us. We might be more aware of the possible attacks of the enemy and how sin might be creeping back into our lives. So as I close, I just want to ask these questions again. From verse 16, whom are you serving? What are your actions, your choices, the decisions you make? Who do they reveal you are serving? And then from verse 17, have you experienced the transforming work of the Spirit in your heart? And are you learning the truth, the knowledge that renews your mind? And then from this last verse, 23, what would it look like for you to live your life with your eternal destiny at the forefront of your mind? Church, as as you answer these questions right now, throughout this week, you ponder them, I want to remind you that In your pursuit of God, you are not alone. The people in this room are also with you. This is your community. These are your people. And we are all looking to pursue God. We're all looking to chase after God. And I love this image of all of us, wherever we're at. Some of us, 30 years of following God. Some of us, six months of following God. All of us are heading towards him. And what an encouragement to see when someone slips to be like, hey, I got you. Let me help you up. Let's keep going. As we live to be more like Jesus, as we pursue him together, what a glimpse of heaven here on earth where his kingdom is at the forefront of our minds. These are people in this room 
who you can be vulnerable with, you can open up with, who can encourage you and who you might need to encourage. And so that's our prayer today, that God would use this church, this community for his kingdom. And as it says on our wall, that he would saturate this community with his glory. Amen. Let's pray. God, again, thank you for your word. Man, we are so thankful for the work that you are doing in our lives. When you transform our hearts, God, and the continuing sanctification that we are going through, making us more and more like Jesus, we're so thankful for that. There's nothing we can do but allow you to work in us. And then, God, we just pray that you continue to put for us your patterns of truth, your, your word, God, through teaching, through reading, through singing, all these ways that we soak in your truth, I pray that it would truly transform our minds. And the way we look at the world process would all be more like how you see the world. God, fill us with your love, with your grace, your compassion. And I pray that you would reveal to us who is sitting on the throne of our hearts. You would make that clear. And if it demands a change, God, help us to make that change. God, we want to offer our lives as a sacrifice to you, that you would use us as instruments of righteousness, instruments for your kingdom. God, thank you for this church right here, Spring Valley. I pray that we would uh, be emboldened and strengthened to come together to pursue you and chase after you. This is not a journey that is meant to be done alone, but to be done together as a body of believers. So help us to love our friends, our family, sitting next to us and across the room. God, help us to have a mind and a heart that reaches out to them and wants to encourage them and help us to be open to receiving encouragement from others. God, continue to transform this entire church that we may be a light into this community here at Rockland. We know that you are working and we're thankful for it and we take joy and get excited about the work that you will continue to do as we look forward into the future. God, we give you all this. We sing your praises. Amen. Guys, thank you for being here this morning and we look forward to continuing our series. Look forward to seeing you uh, midweek, but we hope you have a great weekend. All right, be blessed. Thanks for listening. And if you would, please take a moment to subscribe and leave an encouraging review to help others find our podcast on whatever platform you are listening on. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll catch you next week.